Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, here with the latest episode of the Housing Wire Daily Podcast. On Mondays, my guest is always Housing Wire lead analyst Logan Motoshami, so we can cover the latest economic news. But before we dive in, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Why have rates only at the eights? Great question. Don't get stuck with rates at the eights or brokering only 15 and 30-year loans. With PennyMac TPO's perfect rate and perfect term, you can customize rates to the thousands and loan terms from 96 months and up. Sound perfect? We think so too. Go with the lender who lets you customize rates to better meet your clients' needs. Visit tpo.pennymac.com. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, and MLS ID number 35953. Loans not available in New York. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Okay, we are ready to start talking. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah. It's great to have you here. We we look to you to be a voice of reason and sort of a crazy market. And boy, are we in a crazy market now. So first thing I want to jump in with is mortgage rates. How high can they go? What did your forecast say as far as like what we should expect, especially when we had uh, Fed Chair Powell talking about how he could even go to a half percent uh, instead of a quarter. Well, the the 10-year yield, this is Friday pricing, uh, is officially over the 2022 forecast in terms of the uh, uh, yield itself. You know, I could go up to about 2.42% uh, as, as of this second is uh, 2.4, uh, slightly a little bit o- above that level. So rates have a pathway to go higher and as part of team higher rates, this is what we want, right? Because what happened earlier in this year, especially January, February, March, is housing inventory has collapsed even more. We're not showing any inventory growth whatsoever on a year-over-year basis. And we are just a week away from April. So the unhealthy housing market that we had last year has now become a savagely unhealthy housing market. So what we need is not only for rates to uh, be higher, they need to stay here and do its thing because uh, the market has gone to a point where it, it, you, you don't want this. You don't want forced bidding uh, uh, like we're seeing uh, early this year. So the seasonality of inventory is, is going to start coming right now. And I'm hoping that we don't have a 2020 repeat where you don't see much growth. Uh, we want to see year-over-year growth in inventory, not a decline. And if that doesn't happen, you know, we're going to have to eventually start talking about credit controls because it is so bad out there uh, uh, because the force-bidding nature of housing, which is, you know, in theory, great for sellers. They make a lot of money. But the only mechanism that we have to stop this madness is higher rates. And we have it. We should embrace it because this can finally, hopefully, create a more balanced and stable marketplace. What we have today is simple, simply madness out there, and it's savagely unhealthy. 
So we will come back to credit controls. I have a question about that. But I want to press you a little bit about how, how high can they go? So with with looking at the 10-year yield, where that's going, is that four and a half? Is that five? Is it north of five? Right now, mean? pricing is worse. So you're getting to the high fours right now. And as long as it stays here, you know, you can get pricing to even get worse out there if bond yields keep on rising. Similar to what we saw kind of in, in 2013 and 14. But um, the difference I think now is I know people don't want to hear this, right? <laughs> but we have a terribly unhealthy housing market. And this is the only way that we can check sellers and we can check home builders. Because uh, this is we live in a system to where you know higher prices are a good thing. But when it's regarding to shelter, it's different. And, you know, we've gotten past the housing crash, bubble people, whatever, that forbearance, all that is over with. This, what what happened at the start of this year is not good. So embrace higher rates and hopefully they stick. My concern actually going out is that if economic data gets weaker, um, you know, the inflation rate of growth had the potential to fall. But as long as this war with... Uh, or the Russian invasion is is still going on, you're still going to get pressure on there. If those things start to fade toward the uh, rest of the year, then bond yields can go down and rates could go down. And that to me is, is not a positive because that's how unhealthy things have gotten this year. Well, you might be the only person in our industry who doesn't see that as a positive because it is it definitely affects people all over the, all over the place. You wrote a story for us this week. I'm sorry, last week. New home sales are at risk with rising mortgage rates. So with those rising rates, what does that mean for new home sales? So one thing that's another unbelievably unhealthy aspect of the housing market is completions are taking forever, which means that somebody that started a home that rates were like three and a quarter or 3%. Now they're looking at four and a half to 5%. Some people technically in theory could be unqualified right now. Uh, so that's a cancellation. So the builders are probably starting to be very mindful of this. And I, and I hark back to 2018 uh, when, when uh, the builders had 5% mortgage rates, you saw a monthly supply spike. They kind of paused on construction. So as long as monthly supply is under six and a half months and sales are growing, they will still build. But they are never going to oversupply a market. This dream of a housing construction boom is just not going to happen. So now with rates higher, it can stabilize the existing home sales market. But the net negative would be if house, if new home sales start to fade and the builders kind of pause on that because they do, construction jobs, those things are actually one of the uh, recession red flags, right? Housing starts and new home sales fade into every recession. So these are two separate different worlds, the new home sale market and the existing home sales market. Uh, And and hopefully, this is what I'm hoping for, higher rates puts the builders in check. Because if you look at sales and median prices, right when 2020 came, they have deviated from what we've seen in the previous uh, eight years, they had pricing power. They could push that along to the consumer. Higher rates check them from doing that to a degree, right? Right now, the data is way too early for that to happen. So you want to keep an eye on cancellation rates going out to sea. And if new home sales fade on top of that, right, you know, permits are going to slow down, housing construction is going to shut down. That's the net negative of higher rates in terms of the economy because they do not simply go there and build out 
Uh, so you just need to be mindful of that because this sector is not like the existing home sales. It's very tilted toward uh, the mortgage uh, buyer over 90%. So uh, that's something to look for for the next uh, few months. Well, and, um, you know, when we looked at when, you know, you've always, you have those ranges of like, hey, when this is the the um, months of supply, this is what they'll be building. But you and I had a conversation about this when you were writing um, your last article about, it says 6.3 months of supply, which seems like, oh, okay, then that's under 6.5, they'll still keep doing. But really, they're that's not a very accurate number because so many of those are homes that are just, they just can't get completed. Homes under construction has, it's taken so long that, you know, it looks like we have so much uh, uh, homes uh, that we're building um, because they're not finished and completed. It's, it's stuck in the data line and there's a risk, you know, that's, that's the thing. And, you know, it, it, for me, it's always been different because this has been really the main talking point I had in the previous expansion. Uh, we were going to have the weakest new home sales and housing starts sector or, or cycle ever recorded in history from 2008 to 2019. Builders do not build for the existing home sales market. They build only for their own marketplace. Their competitors are the existing home sales market. So right now, the advantage to them, because total existing inventory is at all-time lows, people are bidding too much. They're forced bidding there. They've used that to their benefits, right? So when demand fades, hopefully the pricing cooling uh, breaks out, supply comes out for everyone and people have choices, right? Why, why are consumers so, uh, um, why, why do consumers have so much stress out here? They don't have choices, they're forced. And, you know, talking to a friend who sells new home sales or new homes, she said that builders are so frustrated, but what are they going to do? The existing home sales market is just as bad. So that, again, goes into the unhealthy housing market that has become a savagely unhealthy housing market. Great point. Well, let's talk a little bit about your recession red flags, um, because some of these things that are happening um, have have raised those. So where are we on recession watch? And what we mean by that is you're just looking at the at the economic cycle. You're not saying, oh, everything's going to crash or housing's going to crash. You're just looking at like what what part of the expansion are we in versus going back into a recession? Again, this this the whole the whole reason that I do uh, all this writing and, and macroeconomic work is to focus on economic expansions and cycles. The previous expansion was the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. We never had any full fledged recessionary data. Uh, COVID was a exogenous shock that paused everything. Right now, two of the six recession flags are up, and they're only up because it's the progression of the expansion. Right. When you're early in expansion, you typically don't fall into a recession right away. So right now, what we're talking about is the unemployment rates gets to a certain level. That's not recessionary in itself, but it is just to show the progression of expansion. Uh, Federal Reserve starts raising rates, and now they're aggressively raising or, or forecasting aggressively raise rates. That is the second part. And the inverted yield curve, which is something I've been on watch since Thanksgiving of last year, hasn't happened yet. We do have some inversions in some of the other uh, bond markets. Once that happens, that's number three. Number four is housing typically fades. You know, housing construction, new home sales, that's number four. Leading economic index that typically falls four to six months. This last data line was positive. Uh, and then we, again, we want to focus on where's the overinvestment uh, in, in this uh, economic expansion. You know, a really good uh, uh, market-oriented discussion is that what sector had so much money tied into it that simply crashed recently? Well, it was those tech stocks. Those companies that were trading 70% above their 200-day moving average, what happened? Right away, crashed, all of them, right? That's what we call an overinvestment 
capital flowing into a sector and right away it crashed. That happened, it didn't crash the economy, right? Retail sales are still solid, people are still buying homes, but again, we wanna show the progression. We're not there yet to be on recession watch, but we are getting toward the expansion where we could start checking off some of these uh, recession red flags. So one of the things, you know, in in your article about how this is now a savagely unhealthy market, we talk about demand. And so yes, rates are rising, which will cool off some, but you have that tsunami wave of millennials reaching peak home buying age for the next couple of years. So what do you feel like, what what is that going to do? I mean, as long as they're able to, as long as they're able to pay the price on rising rates, that's not going to affect that, correct? Here's a, here's a good way to look at housing. Post-1996, when mortgage rates fell, you know, we're talking about mortgage rates from 9 to 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3%. Millions and millions of Americans have bought homes. It's really rare to actually have sales under 4 million. So you have to talk about the distribution of when does affordability and demographics impact sales into a negative way. In my experience, Housing bears don't talk about demographics coherently or affordability indexes. But in relationship to my work, um, I've said five-year cumulative price growth of 23%. As long as it's 23% and under, you'll be okay. And okay meaning total home sales is 6.2 million and up. That's the line in the sand. That's that's why I write these things here. Home prices have already crashed through that 23% level. And the second variable is that rates spike. That goes back to the summer of 2020 article about that, where we talk about mortgage rates. Uh, the 10-year yield, can, if it gets above 1.94, it can cool down housing. So the two factors that I've talked about where you can see softness are now into play. And I have to believe that that will cool down housing. If it doesn't, then I got that wrong. But for me, in general, it's to try to create more balance because what we saw last year wasn't good. And what we saw this year was even worse. Forced bidding is not what we want to see. So just to clarify, when you say crash through that level, you meant higher. I mean, it, it pushed I, that, it, it didn't yeah, crash down. It crashed through the roof, right? Uh, <laughs> and again, again, uh, see, hopefully people can understand, we had a lot of leeway for prices. If there was more supply, home sales would be rising, price growth would be less. That's not the case now. That's why I keep on saying this is not good. We're eating into affordability much faster. Now, the counter to some of the other talk, people say, well, your mortgage payment has gone up four or $500. If you look at a household that makes over a hundred to 200,000 and their wage growth is picked off. So that alleviates some of that uh, pain. That's why millions and millions of people are still buying homes, even when rates are, are still rising, is because the home buyer is in another financial category than a renter. A marginal home buyer that's a renter is different than, let's say, a, a, a an older millennial or a Gen X person who you everyone can see now millennials are the biggest home buyers in America. That whole myth is not true about they don't buy homes. So that's how you should look at wage growth with higher rates. It's not a one-off. It's not, it's not like your payment went up $500 and your wages didn't. But your medium base pay or your base pay is typically higher. So you have to look at that group and see when the affordability gets hit. You know, this is why Canada's, you know, uh, Canada's prices are so much higher than ours. Their, their, their prices are so much higher than their disposable income. 
because the home buyers there with the amount of sales they need to keep housing stable was always okay. And that's why their prices in Australia and New Zealand and Switzerland, they're so much higher than ours. So again, the fear should have always been in this period that inventory gets too low and you get forced bidding. We are here. And this is why we have models. Models keep us in line. So if I am wrong, then housing doesn't have an issue. But hopefully what happens is we get some balance. Okay, and I know some people don't like to hear that, uh, but that is the this is the way because this is the only mechanism we have to create a balanced housing market because sub four percent mortgage rates we're not doing it. Okay, well, um, you know, speaking of inventory and and how do we maybe create some control here? You on Twitter went on uh, last week and talked about credit controls. Uh, please tell us what you said. What it caused pretty uh, a firestorm and and why are you talking about that right now? So. If housing doesn't slow down, and, he, and here's the here's the argument in terms of inventory, people are just, they're, they're so well off in their homes right now, they don't need to do anything. They have the best hedge against inflation. They have to, you know, the, uh, they, they're not going to sell their homes to be homeless or, 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 or take a higher payment. If, if higher rates don't do their thing, we have to start talking about some form of credit control. Credit control means uh, the United States government or the lending institutions try to find a way to slow down home purchases to allow inventory to go up. And one of the, I mean, I'd have to do a whole paper on this, but I just wanted to give an example. Um, Abolish all ARM products when we're in an inventory crisis. Now, we don't now the arms that were are going on right now are not the arms that we saw during the housing bubble. That was like 33 to 35% of the marketplace. So that demand once credit tightened, you saw sales fall down. Uh, arms are not that big anymore, but we need to let higher rates kind of do its thing. And if you allow the buyer to rotate to a lower payment, that means it negates the higher rates uh, thing. So again, I'm, I'm thinking as an economist and a data analyst. I'm not thinking as a loan officer or home buyer uh, because certain levels were broken and inventory is crash, and we don't want this kind of housing market. So this is why credit controls, if if I am wrong and housing doesn't uh, uh, get hit or slow down or creates balance, these are things we have to talk about. Because if we start 2023 at fresh new all-time lows, we got even more issues. Um, so this is, uh, this is why bringing these topics up to give kind of a voice to why balanced markets are a good thing and unbalanced markets are an unhealthy thing. Uh, it just, I think it just gives a more diverse discussion on the state of the housing market today. Yeah, love, love that you're bringing up all sorts of options for people to discuss. I know that uh, people are, in fact, discussing it on Twitter. Quite, a, They have a lot of opinions on it, so it'll be interesting to see. What are you looking at um, this week? What comes out this week, and what are the things that you're really paying attention to? Well, you know, right now, because of uh, uh, the, the Russian invasion, uh, oil prices, gas prices, you know, for me, it's just does that impact the economy in any of the any of the data enough to where we have to start worrying about bond yields going back down and rates going back down? Um, and, and in this regards, we have to refocus ourselves on how to you know read a really weakening weakening housing market. And for me, even before the year started. You know, I was looking for existing home sales to come back down to 5.74 million and have just a few prints. Um, there is a difference between sales trends and actual softness. And you know, the pending home sales data came in and actually looks what, what I thought it would be. 
uh, we're gonna we're gonna get back to that 5.74 million and probably get a few prints on it there. But you're gonna find a base and see where that base goes off from. And that's something that I'll you know talk about because now we finally have some different variables in play this year that's not part of what we had last year. Uh, and I think going over that uh, form and data will be uh, a positive for readers. Looking forward to that as always. Thank you so much, Logan. Hey, it's great to be here, Sarah. According to a recent article on the Great Resignation by MIT Sloan Management Review, more than 40% of all employees were thinking about leaving their jobs at the beginning of 2021. And that figure only grew as the year went on. So how are leaders finding ways to retain valued employees? Or maybe you're even asking these questions as a leader yourself. Step one to addressing this, empowering team members to take ownership of their professional growth. This is why we've invited leadership coach and author Renee Rodriguez to join us for this HW Plus virtual masterclass. Think of this class as a one-stop shop on what you need to know to take your leadership to the next level. Go to housingwire.com to learn more and register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.